one company store, uh, three-lane bowling alley. We had a little indoor pool. We had everything in that town. Now, when you left the town, you're in the Appalachian Mountains. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. And you don't go out there at nighttime either. And so, uh, but we had, the town was just magnificent. We'd sit on the front porch every day after work and tell stories. Well, most of them were lies. We didn't know that. They were great stories. And so, uh, so when I first started traveling, my wife said, Joe, you can't share that story. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, what can I share? Well, you're going to have to cut this out, cut this, and cut that out. Well, that's most of the story. And so I grew up watching Red Skelton. I loved Red Skelton. Uh, Red Skelton came to uh, our big theater in Chattanooga twice when I was a kid. Two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. He would hold you in the palm of his hand for two and a half hours, never cuss one time. And you would be captivated. And when it would end, you think, is it over? Is it over? Because he would tell stories. Kids love to hang around Jesus. You ever notice that? Three times the apostles got mad at Jesus because the kids were hanging around. He said, if you offend one of these little ones, you just soon hang a millstone around your neck, drown yourself in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. This is the kingdom of God. Kids love being around Jesus. I bet Jesus was a great storyteller. He told parables. The Bible's full of his stories. Kids love storytellers. I had two grandfathers. One was mean as not. I didn't want to be around him at all. One was a great storyteller. had candy in his pocket all the time. I liked him a lot. <laughs> so I collected a lot of biographies during my uh, 10 years of school administrator. I collected 1,206 biographies because um, I'm teaching a lot of smart mouth rich kids. It's a private school. It's very expensive. So the only people that can go there are people with a lot of money. So it's a Christian school. And uh, I didn't like the term Christian school. I said, I just want a school. You know, you need to be educated. If you're going to get a job, you need to know something. And so uh, we'd have chapel. I hated chapel with a passion. Because you're teaching chapel. Because in chapel, uh, my chapel class, I had 230 kids. Uh, not till 11th, 12th grade. And so... Uh, I fired the first chaplain because kids kept showing up in my office after chapel. They get in trouble, shooting spit wads, sucking lips off somebody's face, throwing pencils at one another. I said, what's going on over there? So when I was sitting in the back of class one day, and I'd never been in chapel. I just, I'm the administrator. I don't, I don't go to class. So I'm sitting in the back. It took about 10 minutes to realize, dear God, I'm about to go to sleep. This is the most boring class I've ever sat in my life. And then I realized we gave grades in chapel. Well, imagine sending that kid to a Christian school and he gets an F in Bible. Well, that's going to make a parent hug your neck. I said, you don't give grades in the Bible. All kids in the Bible get an A. Don't give grades. Then I realized chapel's too long. 50 minutes, cut 50 minutes up. Too much, too many Bible stuff. Cut it down to 30 minutes. Then I realized when I had to let the first guy go, because he was horrible, I said, man, bless your heart, you're good at something. This isn't it. And so... <laughs> So I tell you, I just did stories. So I had a children's Bible storybook, Eggemeyer's Bible storybook, uh, Warner Press. You still find it at Barnes and Noble. It's a big hardback book. People say, where'd you learn the Bible? Ruth Eggemeyer. I went through that book 10 times in 10 years, 171 stories every year. I went from Genesis to Revelation 10 times in 10 years. I have two degrees in theology and pretty much worthless. Where'd you learn the Bible? Ruth Eggemeyer. 
10 times 10 years. And so you realize God's good, devil's bad, people are stupid. <laughs> Theology 101 and 102. And so, so I'd collect short stories to read. Now this is a little bit longer, but this is one of the stories I, I put some in my book. And uh, this is out of, uh, this is a book by John Stormer called Growing Up God's Way. It's a true story. 1874, 1874, the state of New York had a terrible problem. Its prisons were overcrowded. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm. State officials didn't know what to do, so they hired a man named R.A. Dugdale to do some research. He came back with a fascinating report. I have no idea if Dugdale was born again. I believe with all my heart he was, but I can't prove it. Dugdale did a study of two families and their descendants over some six generations to see how their different lifestyles affected their children. The first half of the report was about a family named Jukes, J-U-K-E-S. Both Max Jukes and his brother married sisters. According to the report, neither of them believed in Christian training. I don't know what they meant by that, but I just assumed they didn't go to church. They had 1,026 descendants. Because of lifestyles, 300 of them died young. Many suffered poor health. Among the descendants, 140 served an average of 13 years each in prison. 190 were confirmed public prostitutes. 100 were confirmed alcoholics. Over a 100-year period, the Jukes family cost the state of New York $1.2 million. Second half of the report was a family uh, named Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, you remember your Christian education, was a preacher. He married a girl of like belief. Edwards and his wife had 729 descendants. Of those, 300 were preachers, 65 were college professors, 13 were university presidents, 60 were authors, 3 were congressmen, and 1 served as vice president of the United States. They didn't cost the state of New York a single dime. Well, they got lucky. There's no such thing as luck. God gave his families and children to train. Train up a child in the way he should go when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Whom shall we teach the deep doctrines of God? Those weave from their mothers, line up online, priest and preacher. You have to teach and train, teach and train, teach and train. Teach. The rest of your life you'll be teaching and training. That's what you do. When I'm 90 and my kids are 70, I will expect the phone to ring one day. Hey, Dad, you got a minute? Sure. Said, well, I'm dealing with the situation. And I said, well, what would you do when you were 70? Well, I did this. And I'll get to share what I did. And so it's like God's got smarts. He knows what to do. He gave us a book called the Bible, written over a long period of time, six different authors. It's like, but this is a God-ordained book. But you got to read it. Now, I think God, being free will like he is, he said, I'm going to set before you life and death, blessing, cursing. You choose. Huh. So when I was a parent, I realized something. My kids are not going to read the Bible if I don't read the Bible. That's a deep thought, isn't it? Uh, my seniors had a special class called Biblical Worldview. And that's mandatory. They had to take it. I would not let them graduate from my school unless they had taken my class. Because you've got in the world, I noticed a lot of our kids who graduate from Christian school, and they go out and get in college their freshman year, they go stupid, get drunk, fornicate, hanging out with idiots. Like, well, Christian education didn't do you any good. Why? Because we didn't get Christ in you. 
We just dipped you in the water, but it, you never swallowed anything. <laughs> so I had to change the way I did stuff. So one of the things I did that worked really good, uh, my biblical worldview class on Monday, I gave all my seniors one dollar. I'm giving all of you a dollar. Our class is biblical worldview, and we're studying finance this week. So I'm going to give you a week to do something with this dollar. Now, you can go out here today at lunchtime, and you can buy a Twinkie and a Dr. Pepper. Just bring the receipt on Friday. And some of them did. But i really like to see you do something with this dollar. And so they all left. They come back on Friday. And so they're coming up. A couple of idiots bought a Twinkie and a Dr. Pepper trying to show off to the girls. Said, don't marry this doofus. And so, <laughs> and so this one kid came up, and he started laying down 117 $1 bills. And I said, oh, he's lying. Shut up. He's got to have proof. Shut up. Let him finish. So he looked at them all out. So he turned around and said, well, tell everybody what you did to get those $117 bills. Well, I left here uh, on Monday with my $1, and I bought some nickel candy. I came back to school on Tuesday. I sold it for a quarter. I took that quarter candy and went and bought some candy. Came back Wednesday and sold it for a dollar. And I took that dollar, so I made from all that candy, and I went and got the local... Yeah, I played for Toshi University. He's a real good running back. I got him to autograph the football. So I sold the autograph football. And uh, on the way to school this morning, I bought a 10-speed bicycle, and I sold it for $117 in the parking lot. So I put my arm around him. I said, now, when you come back here for your five-year high school reunion, look this kid up. Because he's not going to be driving a car with the hood wired down. <laughs> he's going somewhere. Where are you going? Because if you don't plan it, you're going nowhere. you got to have a plan. So I always love this. This is a short story. This is Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Um, oh, let's jump into verse 39. Luke chapter 2, verse 39. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom, and God's favor was on him. Verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the festival was over, they started home to Nazareth. Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. I grew up in a big family. So, two sets of grandparents, 12 kids, both. Uh, so, you go to family reunion, it's an all day event. Uh, you show up early and you bring the fried chicken, baked beef, potato salad. So, all the kids, we'd go play in the barn, we'd go down to the creek, we'd chase cows around the pasture. Uh, but you'd show up at lunch and you not to leave at lunch. Because at lunchtime, everybody's going to get their belly full of food. And the blood's going to leave their brain and go down to their belly. <laughs> and they're going to say what they really think about one another. And so we've, actual, we've had actual fist fights after lunch at family reunion. I mean, women just knocking snot out of one another, just slobber knocking. Just, and so you need not to leave because it's going to get entertaining. I'm not sure why I told that, but I like this story. <laughs> Anyhow, Jesus was 12. Now, you got to know something about the virgin birth. 
God promised Abraham. God got Abraham out of his tent one night. Sent an angel. Get outside your tent, old man. He got outside his tent. Now, Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. They couldn't have children when they could have children. They can't have them now because he doesn't work anymore. This is before Viagra and Cialis. <laughs> so he brings him outside the tent. He said, look, old man, see the stars of heaven. He's looking and said, can you count them? Nope. Well, that's how many kids you're going to have. Okay. <laughs> Take them down to the side of the Sea of Galilee. You see all this sand? Yep. Can you count all, can you count all the sand? Nope. That's how many kids you have. Okay. <laughs> so when the angel's telling Abraham this, the Bible says Sarah's eavesdropping in her tent to all this stuff. And the Bible says she busts out laughing. And she said, it's in your Bible, shall I have pleasure seeing my Lord being old also? He doesn't work anymore. We couldn't have babies when he did work. He, we're not going to have babies now because he didn't work anymore. And so the angel heard her and said, you laughed. No, I didn't. She lied. Well, Long story short, I don't know, probably about three or four days later, Abraham woke up one morning. <laughs> and I'm sure he said, hey, there, I'm back. <laughs> and so uh, the tent was flapping for days. It was. <laughs> well, the problem is she's not getting pregnant. He's thinking, well, you thought I was the problem. You're the problem. I said, Yeah. Well, take Hagar, my servant, have a baby with her, and that's why we have high oil prices. Yeah. <laughs> so she has Isaac and got the baby we were expecting. Now, God blessed Ishmael. You know, he told him to get that woman out of the house. She's messing everything up. So I'll take care of her. So they're going out through the desert. They're dying of thirst. So the angel shows up. Don't worry, don't worry about it. Your son's going to be mighty upon this planet. Wealth and riches have been in his house. It's the same promise made to Isaac, made to Ishmael. That's why the Arabs own all the oil. God promised to bless them. They're not rich. They're filthy, stinking rich because God promised their mother. Nothing's an accident. God can't lie. Whoa, I get goosebumps just saying it. So, Isaac's 18. They go to the mount for the sacrifice every year. Now, it's the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock is today. It was just a big rock back then. So Abraham goes down with the servants. Servants stay at the foot of the hill. He takes his son up to the top of the hill. They build an altar and get the fire going. And so it's in your Bible. And so I said, Dad, Dad, we forgot the sacrifice. We've got the sheep. Well, son, lay down and I'm going to tie you up and tell you a story. So, <laughs> so he tied him up. And he's going to lay him on the altar. And so Abraham raises that knife up. He's going to stab his son. And the Bible said, Abraham had said within himself, if God has to, he's going to raise this kid from the dead because God promised me all the stars of heaven, the sands of the sea, they'll be my family. He'll have to raise this kid from the dead if he has to. And so right before the knife came down, God saw his heart and said, Abraham, stop. In your heart, you just gave me your son. You're not, that knife was coming down. In your heart, you just gave me your son. I got a ram caught in a thicket. Use that as the sacrifice. And so God supplied the sacrifice. And it's a great story. Walk between the things, you know, and there's so much in there. But what I'm trying to do is get to the point where God made a promise to Abraham. And so one day, 
one day, God had told him, one day, I'm going to send my son to earth. What? My son. So there's a conversation in heaven, and I try to imagine being like this, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and we've just been fired from the job, and we're in the house, kids are killing one another. And I imagine God, look at him, son, shot his foot off. I knew he was going to go stupid on me. I knew it. But I'm going to have to send you down there to fix it. You're the only one I got. You can't go like you. A human lost it. A human's got to get it back. So I got to find somebody down there on that planet that will give me his son. So through his family line, I can give you. So read Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, the family line of Mary, the family line of Joseph. Go back to Abraham. God did not lie. So the virgin birth. Thus the virgin birth. And of course, you know, well, you've been sleeping around. No, I wasn't sleeping around. Some angels have to show up and tell them what's going on. So we have a virgin birth. So Jesus is born. Well, now, who is this? Well, inside that fleshly baby body is the second member of the Godhead who holds all the planets together by the power of his word. Who's in that baby's body? The second member of the Godhead that holds all the planets together by the power of his word. Jesus does not know who he is. He's heard the stories about the wise men and the star and they brought all the gold and the jewels. You know. He's heard the stories his whole life. <clears throat> he doesn't know. He's a normal kid. Probably doesn't make his bed, fights with his brothers, throws spit wads at them. He's a normal kid. He can't raise a dead goldfish. He's heard the story, but he's a normal kid. So just keep that in mind. So they go down. This is an eight-day festival every year. Go down, day eight, it ends halfway through the day. Halfway through the day, you've been there for eight days, it's time to pack up, we've got to go home. It's a four-day walk back to home. So they travel in caravans to protect one another. There's no state troopers, got to protect one another. So they get about four hours from Jerusalem, they make camp. Put up the tents, feed the camels, stop the donkeys, build a fire, cook the dinner. There's no rayback flashlight, there's no Coleman lantern. You've got to make everything before it gets dark. So Mary calls the kids in. Joseph, get the boys in there. It's time to eat. By this time, she's got two boys, two other boys. Now, I believe that. 30% of the theologists don't believe that. I'm one of the 70 that doesn't believe it. So get the kids in. It's time to eat. So Joseph calls the boys in, and she says, well, where's Jesus? Well, I call for him. Well, get him in here. The food's going to get cold. Joseph disappears. So it gets dark. Hours go by. Joseph shows back up. Mary says, where have you been? Well, I've been looking for Jesus. Well, get him in here. The food's cold. Well, he's not here. What? He's not here. I've been wanting to camp back twice, and he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? I think we left him in Jerusalem. We left the Son of God in Jerusalem? We could have left one of these. We lose that one. Of all the, of all the kids, we could have lose that one. What kind of father are you? What kind of mother? Now, the Bible says there are not enough pages to have all the words that got said. So the, the sun came up. They hand the kids off to relatives. Mary and Joseph hoof it back to Jerusalem. It's a big town. There's no photograph. Hey, have you seen this kid? <laughs> They're thinking, where's, where's the 12-year-old kid going to be at? Pooh Hall, bowling alley, movie theater? I don't know. For three days, they're looking for the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, has been missing for four days. I'm sure they said, we're going to burn in hell. We're going to burn in hell. We've lost the Son of God. We're going to burn in hell. So Joseph, well, you know, we've not looked in the temple. You know, he's not normal. 
So then when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem and searched for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard this 12-year-old Jesus were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said, why have you done this to your father now? When moms get mad, they always drag dad into the conversation. <laughs> Even there. Why have you done this to your father now? I've been frantic. Search for you everywhere. Jesus answered, verse 49, well, why don't you need to search? He said, didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? So he's 12, but he's starting to get an inkling what's going on. Who are you? Yeah, there's a virgin birth. I, wouldn't, I don't remember none of that. Uh, a bunch of wives that showed up. I don't remember none of that. We went off to Egypt high after Herod died. I don't remember none of that. I've heard the stories around the campfire at night. I heard Mama tell a story. I think I'm it. I think I might be the one. So I'm hanging out in here trying to find out. What's he doing at age 12? Jesus is trying to find out who he is. He doesn't know. God did not cheat. A human lost this planet. A human's got to get it back. God can't just show up like Superman in a cape, take it away from the devil, hand it back to man. No. A man lost it. A man's got to get it back. Jesus was all God, but he was all man. In the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, Jesus is trying to get the apostles to pray with him. They fell asleep. He's in the garden. He's sweating great drops of blood. Now you can get so scared, so nervous, your body will actually sweat blood out of yourself. He's sweating great drops of blood, and he prays this prayer. He realizes, I'm going to the cross. They're going to beat the dog out of me. They're going to nail nails into my hands and feet. i got to go to hell for three days. And he realizes what's going to happen, and he prays his prayer. Father, can you let this cup pass from me? Can we do this some other way? And the father says, nope. And Jesus says, not my will, thy will be done. So Jesus willingly went to the cross. Did he deserve it? No. Had he ever sinned? Not once. Was it right? No. But he bought me, paid my price. So my faith is what Jesus did for me. Did you go to the cross? I deserve to. Did you go to hell? I deserve to. Why'd you not? Jesus paid the price for me. I taught intercession prayer for 10 years in my local church. I used to try to tell people what's like. In heaven is God the Father. Next him is the Son. You have the accuser of the brethren. The devil is going to accuse you of everything you've ever done wrong, thought wrong. You did this. You thought this. You did this. You said this. So I'm there. So I'm realizing, talking to the, to the judge, God, did you do this? Yes, sir. You did that? Yes, sir. Did you mean to? Yeah. Was it right? No. Well, what do you got to say? Can you speak to my attorney? And he's going to turn to his son, and the son's going to whisper something. Said, no, you're clean. When you get to heaven, the Bible says, all the days of my life and your life are recorded in the book of heaven. Once you get past the Lamb's book of life, there's another book with all the days of your life. Everything you've ever said, thought, done, in faith and out of faith. If you've ever repented, those pages are soaked in blood. They're not legible. The Bible says so. When you get the, you get, it's all red. Soaked in blood. Price has been paid. 
come boldly to the throne of grace. Get mercy up in time of need. When you need mercy, when you sin on purpose, be like you're running to heaven all out of breath. <laughs> so what you doing here? Just like I'm hanging out. You in trouble? Might be. Have you sinned? I think so. How's it working now? Not too good. You to run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy. Old blind Bartimaeus from Sodom, he'd been born blind. He's blind as a bat. All of a sudden, he hears a racket one day. What's that noise? That Jewish rabbi's coming. The guy's been doing all the healing. What? Yeah, that Jewish rabbi's coming. All of a sudden, blind Bartimaeus starts to scream. Mercy! Mercy, son of David! He didn't scream. Hey, eyeballs! He's a man. We need some eyeballs over here. <laughs> he screamed, Mercy! And the Bible says Jesus stopped in his tracks. And the apostle said, Lord, don't pay attention to me. He's a crazy old blind man. No, I want to talk to him. And Jesus walks over to him. What can I do for you, blind man? And Peter said, well, Lord, he didn't have any eyeballs. Peter, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the blind man. Shut your face up. <laughs> what can I do for you, blind man? And the man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. He got a brand new set of eyeballs that day. He got everybody wound up. In fact, they drag him down to the Sanhedrin later on that day, the Roman soldiers. And they grill that blind man. You believe this guy is the son of God? He said, I don't know. All I know is once I was blind and now I see. That's all I know. He didn't become an evangelist. He just got his eyeballs back. Later on that same day, Jesus goes into town. They're having a funeral for a kid that's died. Well, Jesus goes out of the casket, raises that dead kid up from the dead. Ooh, they wrote songs about that one. Then later on that afternoon, he went up to the hillside and he created 5,000 Happy Meals. <laughs> they sing that song still to this day. What's Jesus doing? Miracles. Jesus said, the things I do, shall you do also. And greater things than these shall you do. So you've got to realize who you are and what you're doing here. Yeah, that's a messed up planet, but it doesn't bother me. I'm the salt and the light of this planet. I'm to leave everything better than I find it. Does everybody always treat you fair? No, there's some thumb-sucking rude people. What do you say to them? God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> and they'll just cuss louder. You blank, you blank. And God bless you too. God bless you. <laughs> Turn over one chapter. Chapter 4. Um, Jesus is coming back to the wilderness, been hanging out there. It is written, it is written with the devil. And so, uh, verse 15 of chapter 4 of Luke. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where this is written. Here's what Jesus said, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the tenant, went over and sat down. All eyes of the synagogue looked at him intently. Then Jesus began to speak. This scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What's the day Jesus realized who he was and what he was doing here? I'm him. I'm the son of God. 
I know what I'm doing here. Whoa. Everyone spoke well of him, was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Is this Joseph's son? Then Jesus said, you undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do in Capernaum what you did here, or do that, uh, what, what you did here, what you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there are many needy widows in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow in the land of Sidon. And many Israel had leprosy, the time of prophet Elisha. Only one was healed, Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people of the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge on the hill uh, where the town was built, intending to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the middle of the crowd, and he went on his way. Jesus comes back to the synagogue. They have him scroll, and they read it. He goes, now, in the synagogue in Israel, everybody sits on the floor. they got a little square thing down there. Everybody sits down. So when he read it, he went back, and he sat down. Two guys are talking, basically, paraphrased. Man, wasn't that good? We need to have him read more often. It's just good when he reads. He just reads that so good. And the other guy said, yeah, but what did he say? What? What did he just say? Well, he said, he's the one. The one what? The one he was reading about. He says he's him. The what? Yeah, he just said he's him. And a mob broke out, and they jerked Jesus up, and they're going to shove him off a cliff. I tell people all the time, not everybody in your lifetime is going to like you. <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> just because you're a Christian, not everybody's going to hug your neck. Give you a raise, smile at you. Now, I've worked for a lot of wonderful people in my life. All were heathens. I love working for heathens because they're blind as a bat. You can pray stuff over them. Lord, I believe I'm surrounded with the shield of divine favor. People like me that don't even know why. Psalm 512. People like me that don't even know. I've told my kids their whole life don't you tell me you can't get a raise. My daughter, one time, was working at a bank, Bank of Oklahoma. Been working as an accountant for three years. Started off with a great salary. Times, times were tough, uh, late 70s. And she hadn't had a raise in three years. So I go to her house one day. I'm going to pick something up. I walk in. She's sitting on the couch in the living room. She's crying. What are you crying about? They promised me a raise. They're not giving me a raise in three years. They promised they're not going to give me one. I'm going to get me a job somewhere else. Really? Who's hiring? I thought everybody's laying off. I wouldn't quit my day job, babe. I'd hang on to my day job until you got another job in your hand. And she said, well, it's not right. I said, well, let's pray. I stood her up. One of her sisters come to visit. All three stood in her living. We held hands. Father, we set ourselves in agreement according to Matthew 18, 19. Lord, I agree with Jessica. Many people at that bank will get raises, but she will never get a raise in Jesus' name. I plead the blood. I bind the devil. She will never get a raise. Hey, what are you saying? Honey, I'm saying what you say. I'm your father. I want what you want. So, Father, I agree. I plead the blood again. I agree. She will never, ever get a raise that baby. Yeah, quit saying that. Well, then you quit saying it. Shut your face up. So, that December, she was named Employee of the Year, and they doubled her salary. Now, I could give so many testimonies, but we all have them. But we only have them if you choose to believe God. Because when you're believing God, you can't see it. It's not there. Well, you know, I'm believing God. 
What do you blame God for? I remember I was in Bible school. I've been an engineer. I've had a great job. But we're, we got three men made jobs between my wife and I. We're barely putting a gallon of milk on the table every week. Man, that's rough. So three years we're doing that. And uh, I got mad one day. I walked home from school uh, just for a little lunch. And so I had my Schofield Bible. We had one of those old cheap houses, sand on the ceiling. And so I'm reading the scriptures about, God, you said you spoil my knee. You read that? Huh? You said, you read that? So I throw my Bible in the ceiling, it would stick. They just shred, they just shred the paper off. You said you prosper all of that man, do you ever say? You said you prosper me. Well, I ain't prosper. You said you prosper. I throw my Bible in shred. And so my wife came home about 20 minutes after that. I'm sitting in here sweating. My Bible shredded all over the living room floor. And she said, what are you doing? Talking to God. <laughs> so then we remember of his word. So two weeks later, I'm going to my second job. I'll punch in. And he said, Joe, you got a minute? I said, sure. So we're starting a, starting a full-time second shift. We'd like to hire you as the foreman. So we'd like to uh, double your salary. And uh, since we're doing that, you're going to be quite calling now. Uh, we had a Christmas bonus that we didn't give out to March, so here's the $1,200 Christmas bonus you should have got back in December. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> now, we've all gone through it where you believe God, then you don't believe God. You believe. The Bible says the righteous fall seven times a day, but they get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. Got to learn how to get back up. So, the last verse, verse 52 Luke chapter 2 says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favored God and favored the people. Well, if Jesus grew, I need to grow. If I need to grow, my kids need to grow. Uh, I took my kids to Washington, D.C. twice. Did a whole week long tour of D.C. and walked everywhere. Oh, Lord, I'm so one of the trips, we toured the, the U.S. Mint, where they print money. And so a big old building. So they were printing $20 bills that day. And we're looking down from this upper floor to this glass window, two floors down. And there's pallets and pallets of $20 bills, freshly. And so, man, whoo, have mercy. Well, one pallet would be good. And so, <laughs> so we're walking out. And on the way out, we're walking past this one room. So now here is where... The FBI agents who specialize counterfeit money, here's where they train. So they come to train for six weeks. Really? Six weeks? Yeah. Said in six weeks, they never ever see a counterfeit bill. That's what? Well, especially counterfeit. They don't see a counterfeit. Why? Well, because they'll make another counterfeit bill. They'll make another counterfeit bill. All we study in six weeks, they study nothing but good bills. They know the good's so good. They know it's bad when they see it because they know it's not good. Now I went through time as a minister where we're, kids were committing suicide supposedly. So we started having a specialty to teach our youth about suicide and not committing suicide. And the suicide rate went up. You don't teach about the devil. Teach about Jesus. Teach about God. Teach about where we're going, what we can do. You don't study stupidity. You just don't. I go back to the thing about Angel. <laughs> we're, 
I sat down and watched the movie one night. I said, what are we watching? She said, so I said, well, how does it end? She said, I'm not going to tell you. I said, I'm not going to watch it. I don't watch movies unless I know how it ends. Well, that's, I'm not making this up. She said, well, that's crazy. No. I'm not going to sit here and waste two hours watch the good guy die and go broke and get killed. I need to know how it ends. So I, I, I gave all my videos away, but I used to own John Wayne's The Searchers, and I've seen it a minimum of 200 times. And so Haynes would come through every now and then, what are you watching, Searchers? How many times have you seen this movie? At least 200. Why do you watch it? Good guy wins. <laughs> it's in the Bible, the last book. The good guy wins. We win. I don't feed on stupidity. I don't sing stupidity. I don't listen to stupidity. Some famous guy said, stupid is, and stupid does. <laughs> the Bible said, we're to guard our heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. You got to watch what you feed on. That's how the devil gets in. You got to guard your heart. Think on these things, whatever is lovely, honest, just, praiseworthy, a good report. Think on these things. Don't think on those things. Those things are trying to solve stuff against the knowledge of God. So guard your heart. Y'all watch what I, I sing to myself all the time. Drive my family nuts. Because I don't know the words to any song. <laughs> now I grew up in the country listening to bluegrass music. I never listened to rock and roll. Even Elvis, I never listened to rock and roll. We listened to nothing but bluegrass in country. And so we had the little red barn up in Dayton, Tennessee. We'd go up there every Saturday night. We'd have one big main group from Nashville come down. Flatten's Crooks there one weekend. And then all the local boys fill up after that. Sawdust floor. And it's just number bluegrass. So I And so I love that. And I love that music. So I never listen to rock and roll. And so my kids, you know, were coming up. And they'd have their headphones in. So I remember one time my daughter came out. I said, what do you listen to? Had her headphones on. What? What are you listening to? Come here. Let me listen to that. And so I listened to it. I said, can you print the words out to that song? Because I don't understand them. What? Yeah, take a minute, print the words out of that song for me. And so it took about 10 minutes. She printed it out. Here. So I said, well, no, come here, come here. I see, uh, would you like some of this? What? Would you like some of this to happen to you? Well, no. Well, what are you listening to it for? Sing to yourself in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Think on these things, whatever is lovely, honest, just, pray the word. I did a, had to go to a funeral one time. The gal was a great gal, Christian. Parents are great Christians. Uh, her uncle is a minister of a great church. Um, she's home. She's going to Baylor University. She's home on a Christmas break. And she's out with some old friends. And she's with a guy in a pickup truck. Well, he gets drunk. He's just a, still a doofus. So she's going to drive him home late at night. It's Christmas break. So they're on a country road in Texas and so she's going around some country road late at night. Another car's coming. She runs off the road, hits a tree, kills her instantly. The drunk guy didn't kill. He's so drunk, he just flopped on the floor. So we go to the funeral. Great friends of mine, known him for years. It's so sad. Like, and so I'm just tolerating everything. And so uh, at the funeral, they said, we're going to play her favorite song. I thought, well, this would be interesting. And Baylor, student, and Christian kid. Played a favorite song. Her favorite song is about a young girl that committed suicide. They played it at her funeral. 
These are all Christian spirit-filled. They played her favorite song about a girl who committed suicide. You'll get what you sing, people. You'll get what you think. You'll get what you say. Guard your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. I pounded my kids their whole life. I, I, I get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll mark you. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. I get you in a five-minute conversation, I'll tell you what you've been listening to, what you've been watching. It'll come out of your mouth and you can't stop it. That's why I was a good engineer. We go visit our competitors about three times a year, take them to lunch, feed them a lot. And don't talk, just ask questions. <laughs> Two ears, one mouth, it's a math thing. That was deep, wasn't it? And so we go back and do what they said they were good at. We never told them what we were good at because humans love to brag about, tell you what I did, where I went, what I shot. Well, go ahead. I'm taking notes. I'm not going to tell you nothing I've done. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. So when you've got kids, you can start, I'm going to teach you how to think. And if you get this down pat, you can make a habit out of this. Think good things. Think good thoughts. If a bad thought gets in, get it out. Well, how do you get a bad thought out of your mind? <laughs> it's deep. Well, you need to get your mouth moving. Now, psychologists have found your brain can't work with your mouth moving. Your brain will follow the words coming out of your mouth, not what it's thinking in its brain. How do you control your brain? Get your mouth moving. Well, I think bad things. Well, you need to move your mouth. For God inhabits praise. You need to start thanking God. For what? I don't care. Just thanking you breathing. <gasps> Thank you, God, I'm breathing. Thank God the sun came up. Thank God you're going to make a way out. Thank God you're going to order my steps. Thank God you're going to direct my paths. You've got to get to where you're saying the right thing. So as a parent, I don't care if your kids are 45, you ever get a chance, just plant a good seed in them. You can't preach to them. They won't let you preach. They say, well, Dad, how'd you do that? Well, I just control what I think. How do you do that? Well, I get my mouth moving. That's why spirit-filled people are filled with the Holy Ghost. We pray in tongues. What's that when you pray in tongues? I'm praying the absolute perfect will of God. That was deep. When I first got spirit-filled, somebody gave me a tape of Oral Roberts. How he built Old Roberts University walking across that cow pasture for a week praying in the Holy Ghost. I don't know about it. All I know is I can pray in tongues. That's all I know. I won't do it with my wife because I'm embarrassed. I don't want to babble like a two-year in front of my wife. So I pray in tongues, listen to country music on the radio. So I'd sing on Conway, Twitty, Loretta Lynn, but I'd sing in tongues. And so, so I went and prayed with my wife. So he gives this tape. He said, hey, Old Roberts built Old Roberts University, walked across the cow pasture praying in tongues. I said, okay. So I thought, well, we need to do this tonight. So I went home. I said, hey, honey, listen to this tape. We didn't have kids yet. Listen to this tape. We're going to do this tonight. I said, we're going to, well, we we'll get in bed. Wait till it gets dark. Uh, close the curtains. Turn out the light. That way I can't see you. You can't see me. And said, I'm going to count to three. And we're going to start praying in tongues together. And we're going to pray as loud and as fast as we can. That way I can't hear you and you can't hear me. I'm not making this up. And so we got in bed, Saxon, Missouri, <laughs> September 1975. And I said, okay, go. But when we shined that, he came out, who stole the Honda? We cut, we cut it loose. So I think we prayed for about 10 minutes. Might not have been that long, but it seemed like it was that long. But okay, okay, we've given God something to work with. Now I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord. It's some sort of pump primer that gives God permission to reverse the flow. 
So I counted three and I said, thus saith the Lord. Now here's what came out of my mouth. One day, I'm going to take you all over the country. And I'm going to use you to minister to families, especially to parents. And I'm going to use you to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the children back to the fathers. You'll be known as the repair of the breach, the restore past dwelling in the last days. I thought, and I just rolled out of my mouth like honey out of a jar. So I'm laying there in the dark hole on my wife's hand. I just laying there, and I'm just kind of quiet. She didn't say a word. I laid my head over toward her, and I can't see it. It's that dark. I said, is that not the dumbest thing you ever heard of? Why don't you tell anybody we did that? And I threw that tape away. So I go to church on Sunday. I'm a second row church person. We're in the First Baptist Church, Sykes, Missouri. And I'm second row. And so church every time. A saint comes down the aisle. Leans over. Sonny? I said, yes, ma'am. Sonny, God dealing with you about the ministry? I said, no, ma'am. No, my, my wife pinched my leg. I thought, oh, dear God, it's hot down front. We need to back up. And so the second Sunday, we're next to the last row in the back. So we're singing our hymnals. And uh, all of a sudden, this elderly guy punches me on the shoulder. And I thought maybe he dropped something. Yes, sir, can I help you? Son, God dealing with you about the ministry? I said, no, sir. <laughs> so we had a little Christian group get together every Monday night. So a uh, bunch of crazy charismatics. So we go to that. About 30 of us. So we're sitting there. And so we brought in this young evangelist, Albert Hinton, out of Texas. And uh, just got out of prison. And <laughs> just got out of prison. Had five kids. All white suit. Four gold teeth up front. And so he didn't yell. He was very calm. Tonight we're going to preach out of the Gospels. You know, Jesus and the Gospels. He started talking real normal. All of a sudden, he stopped. He picked this couple in the front. Well, you two stand up. Sir, God said you got a heart condition. And he had. He just got out of the hospital. We got, and, just ripped, and they fell over on the floor. I said, my God, he died. He done dropped dead. <laughs> and he started reading people's mail. It's just so calm. He's going around. And all of a sudden, we're on the back row. Because I don't sit down front anymore. I'm on the back row. I thought, and I told him, don't look him in the eye. <laughs> he, he, he can't read you if you don't look him in the eye. Don't look him in the eye. So keep our heads down. Well, he stopped. He didn't have a word for us. So we sang a Nacapella song. We're going to close out. All of a sudden, I didn't see. But they said, he's still on this toast. You two back there, come up here. And I said, Joe, he's not. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> you two. So I'm going to, I said, Nick, don't you let him look in your face. Don't, you, don't look him in the eyes. Don't look him in the eyes. So we're going to get our heads down. And so he's standing there. He said, the Lord says, the Lord says, one day, he's going to take you all over the country. He's going to use you to minister to parents, especially the families. So he's going to use you to turn the hearts of the fathers. And he quoted me in my bedroom three months earlier. Well, I start crying. People think God's going, no, I'm, I just don't want God to kill me. I, don't want, I just don't want God to kill me. I don't, I don't know he could do this. And so it took three years to get to Bible school. It took three years to go through a two-year school. We were real slow. <laughs> but for the last 30 years, I did what I prayed out of my mouth. Now, when you have a family, uh, every kid's different. Every age is different. Uh, <laughs> I took my dad took my mom to a seafood restaurant every anniversary. Lived in Tennessee. There's no seafood in Tennessee. <laughs> so my mom loves. So I thought I'll do that when I got married. I took my wife to a seafood restaurant every anniversary for 30 years. I take my wife to a seafood restaurant. We're in Melbourne, Florida, the 30th anniversary. I got four of my kids with me. Two have flown down from college. Have our own private room. And so we had a great seafood restaurant. And so I noticed my wife's not eating. <laughs> and I said, I said, honey, your food okay? She said, Joe, is this a good seafood restaurant? Hey, this is a five-star restaurant. It took two weeks to get in here. You okay? She said, I just realized something. 
I said, what? She said, I don't like seafood. I said, good Lord, but you've been eating it for 30 years. I just figured you never could find a good restaurant. This is a good seafood restaurant. I don't like seafood. I like steak. So the next 15 years, we ate steak every anniversary. And the reason I share that story is it takes time to get to know somebody because they're going to change. Hopefully they're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're going to grow up. So how much time have I got? I'm going to read this to you. This is, this is, out of, this is old. It's old Methuselah. <laughs> it's not good to be alone. I'll read these real quick. Just going to read the first verses. Genesis 2.18, not good for men to be alone. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But when someone falls alone, they're in real trouble. Ooh, that's deep. Matthew 18, 19, if two of you shall agree here on earth concerning anything that asks, the Father in heaven will give it to you. Ooh, I like that. Proverbs 18, 22, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. All the men said amen. amen. That's weak. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 9, 9, live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of your life that God has given you. The wife God gives you is your reward for your earthly toil. I was sitting in the Baptist church and said, dear God, what? <laughs> what? My wife's my reward? That's it? What did I do so wrong? What? <laughs> First Timothy 5.14, I advise the younger widows to marry again, have children, take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. Matthew 19, verse 4, when two come together, two are united into one. Whoa. Then Malachi 2.15, did the Lord not make you one with your wife? In body and spirit you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. God was always looking for the next generation. We're always one generation away from dying off. The church is one generation away from being dead. We're supposed to be reaching the next bunch. That's why we're here. Oh, that was deep. Marriage is something you build not find. Matthew 16 and 18. Upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not conquer it. Proverbs 24.3, a house is built by wisdom, becomes strong through common sense. Proverbs 14.1, a wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Jeremiah 29.4, it's all those be carried captive into Babylon. When you get over there, boys, build your houses, plan to stay, plant a garden, eat the fruit they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so you'll have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Pray for what? I need you to pray for the peace of Babylon. What? I need you to pray for the peace of Babylon. You've got to be kidding. i got to pray for Nebuchadnezzar? Yes. I'll pray a she-bear rip his heart off, spit down his throat. Wrong prayer. Wrong prayer. I need you to pray that old Neb has a peaceful day. Why? Well, because Nebuchadnezzar has a peaceful day, you're going to have a peaceful day. But if he, had, he didn't have a peaceful day, you're probably coming to heaven early. <laughs> now, Daniel served under three heathen kings. Three. He's a slave. He rises to the top. Nation comes in, overthrows that king. But the new bunch comes in, hey, this kid seems pretty sharp. Let's keep him around. Rises to the top under the second heathen king. Another nation comes in, kills that king. They take him, hey, this kid seems to be pretty popular. 
rise to the top of the third king. He kept rising to the top. God expects that. Joseph's in prison. His brothers have sold him into slavery. He's down there and he tries to interpret the dream of the banker and the baker and they lied about him. They forgot about him. Finally, Pharaoh has a dream and so the guy says, hey, I was a guy in prison. He interprets dreams. Really? Well, get him in here. So he brings him in before Pharaoh. You know this dream? Hmm, yeah, let me get back with you. So he goes back, prays, comes back. Yeah, this is what the dream means. He's going to have the seven years of famine, the series of plenty. He said, if you store it. And so at the end of the interpretation of the dream, Pharaoh says, you know, I don't have anybody like you in my staff. I want to make you the second most powerful man in my country. Joseph went from a slave in prison to the second most powerful man on planet Earth in one day. God is always trying to promote. God is always trying to move you. But you got to be willing to listen. And you can't say no to nothing. People said, how'd you become an engineer? I said, yes, to every job I got. I started out as a janitor. I was scrubbing toilets. They had a union shop. And it's a bid board, three shifts. So if, it, if a job paid 10 cents an hour more than I was making, I'd sign up. And people would get me. Hey, Joe, Joe, somebody signs you up for the blankety-blank job down there. You don't want to do that job. It's hot down there. Joe, somebody signs up work down in that department. You don't work down to the foreman. He's mean. I'm not going home with anybody. I have, a, <laughs> I have a lot of hobbies. Works not one of my work for cash. If it pays more than I'm making, I'm going to take it. So I moved all the way up. So I became, I became a furnace operator. There are four of them in the whole plant. Big plant. All the mess. Four furnace operators. They make $8. This is back in 1974. 76. Paid $8 an hour. I signed up for it. Well, they have four furnace operators, a janitor and a foreman. Foreman got permitted to sales. Uh, operator got permitted to foreman. And so there's an opening. Well, I had read the union manual. People don't read union manuals. But it's just, if, if you're in it, you need to read the book. So I read you have to promote within the department. So I signed up for that job. Well, I'm the janitor because I came off as a strander and I took the job as a janitor. The piece. Hey, McGee, somebody signs you up for the crapper job. I signed up. You got to go clean toilets? Yeah, I love to go clean toilets. You get to go to the dump twice a day, throw away those eight-foot fluorescent light bulbs, feel like tarts out there. I love that. And so, well, three months later, there's nobody. So I signed up. Well, they gave the job to somebody down in, in shipping. And I went down to the union shop. I said, no, you can't give that to them. That's my job. So you haven't been here long enough. These guys have been here 20 years. No, you said in your manual you promote from within the department. There's only one other person in that department. That's me. Went into arbitration for three days, and they gave me that job. Now, they wrote names on the side of my pickup truck and slashed my tires. <laughs> Hell comes to every opportunity. Hell comes to every opportunity. Are you willing to go through? You just want to just, we go, and so I'm a furnace operator. Well, you only work, you empty the furnace twice in an eight-hour shift. It's massive furnaces. You have your own furnace, and it's 2,000 pounds of molten aluminum. You've got a, you're staring into a hell of a volcano. And so twice a shift, you push a button. This big steel lids open up, and you dump the molten aluminum. Now it's got six slots, so I put on an asbestos coat, asbestos boots, asbestos gloves, asbestos mat. You know what asbestos I was dressed in it. Then I stand on top of that thing and I drop a 
big steel bar, and I have a, a 15, inch, uh, 15 pound sledgehammer. And I have to, that loom will set up, so you have to clean those channels out. Boom, 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 get the next. So I got six of these. So for 30 minutes, you sweat like a stuck pig. But then once you get it done, you get on and sit down, and you get to sit down with that stuff off of you in front of your own 48-inch fan. <laughs> Drink all the Pepsi Cokes you can swallow. So I drank free Pepsis and sat for a 48-inch fan for seven hours. Only one hour did I have to work real hard. So one day I'm watching the guy come by every day, and I asked the foreman, so who's the guy that comes by every day that clipboard? That's a lab technician. I come, he doesn't sweat. Everybody sweats in this plant. It's air conditioned in the lab. There's a job down there that's air conditioned? I said, does he make more than we do? Yeah, he's a lab technician. How did he get, to, how did he get that job? You can't do that. You've got to take a test. So I went down after shift, walked in, and uh, I, Steve Radline was his name. He helped develop the heat shield for the space shuttle. That's how he had a crew cut, smoked a lime green pot, made out of stuff the heat shield's made out of. So I went in and he said, Joe, because uh, I filled out the application, he said, Joe, why do you want to be a lab technician? I said, I have a lot of jobs and work's not one of them. I work for money and y'all make more money than we do in here. <laughs> Plus it's air conditioned in here and I rather like the air conditioning. <laughs> Plus you listen to that classical music, I don't know what it is, but it's better than that country stuff we're listening to out there. There's five different states. I can't even understand what they're saying. Plus you play cribbage. I've had cabbage, I don't know what cribbage is. He said, well, you know, you're, you're not, you weren't supposed to take the test because I had to go down and take a test. And it was a two-hour test. Well, I finished it in 20 minutes because it's 100 questions, A, B, C, D. So I'm going to take a test. First question. I don't know. Second question. I don't know. I had micrometers. I don't know what a micrometer is. So I said, well, went back. Number one's A. Number two's B. Number three's D, C. Number four's D. Number five's A. So I, B, C, A, B, C, the whole test. So I walked up. I'm in, my, I'm in my metal tarsal boots. I've been sweating. These guys are in blazers. They're college graduates with degrees in metallurgy. So I want to turn my test in. 20 minutes after I started, they thought, my God, he's a genius. He's some kind of genius. <laughs> so Randon called me down and said, you know, you weren't supposed to take this test. I said, well, nobody told me. I said, you know what you scored? I said, well, I got a 50-50 chance of getting 50. <laughs> he said, you scored a nine. I'm thinking, did he round up? No. Nah, he said, don't ever gamble, Joe. You're not a good guesser. Here's what happened. He said, well, I got a problem. Plant manager's mad at me because our white-collar guys do not get along with the blue-collar guys on the floor. We have to work with them every day. So he's trying to find me a liaison between the two. And I noticed you, you worked in every department in the, in the plant. You're not working here? I love working here. Why do you keep moving? Every job I take pays more money than the job I was at. I have a lot of hobbies, work's not one of them, I work for cash. <laughs> so I was the first non-degreed lab technician they ever hired. Well, there's three of us on a shift. And I realized, I realized first week, one of us is a senior lab technician. I said, what makes you a senior lab technician? He said, well, I can run the quantometer. What? The, quant <laughs> the quantometer, there's a burning analysis on the aluminum because of how much zinc, manganese, copper we need to add. I said, where's that at? What's in the room in the lab? So you go to this big machine, and so you take a carbon rod and put that little disc that they send down through the chute, and it's a machine. Just reading numbers, it's not that hard. So I told Redline, a senior lab technician opened up a month later, said, I want that job. 
No, you can't do that job. You can't run the quantometer. Yes, I can. Come watch me. Because I stayed over every shift for two weeks to watch them do it. And so I'll get back with it. So I became the first non-degreed senior lab technician I'd ever hired. Well, around that goes back to NASA. We hired a guy named Bill Clark. He comes to the lab, and he's the hit man. He fires people. He's a professional firing guy. So we knew he's coming. So, well, he's going to find out I'm not degreed. He's going to fire me day one. So I'm doing some testing on some power cable for TVA. He walk, he's got this stupid grin on his face. I see him walking. That's him. That's him. So he walks in, sticks his hand out. I said, well, I'll introduce the first words out of his mouth. Well, Joe, how are things between you and the Lord? Well, I'm not talking to him lately. He squeezed my hand. He grinned real big. He said, well, you're going to. You're going to. I thought, he just threatened me. <laughs> so the next day, he calls the stand office one at a time. Well, there's nine of us because one at a time. So we're out there in the lab. And so when we've got a big glass door, so we can't hear. So one of them come out and say, what did he say? They just wave us off. So it came my time. I thought, well, I'm getting canned. I go in, I sit down. <laughs> so I sit across the He said, Joe, are you a believer? A what? Are you a believer? In what? The Bible. Are you a Christian? I'm a Baptist. All Baptists are Christians. <laughs> he said, well, I'm a believer. And he pulls this lime green pocket Bible out of his pocket. And so he goes to the book of, Matthew, book of Mark and says, My Bible says, These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Joe, I've laid hands on sick people, seen them get well. You ever laid your hands on any sick people? No, I stay away from sick people. I don't like them. <laughs> These signs shall follow them that believe. They, cast, they shall cast out devils. Joe, I've cast the devil out of people. You ever cast the devil out of anybody? No, sir, I've never even seen a devil. My Bible, these signs of the belief, they shall speak with new tongues. I speak in tongues. Joe, you speak in tongues? You mean like a Pentecostal? Yeah. No, I'm a Baptist. We don't do that. <laughs> He's grinning the whole day. He said, well, you're not a believer. You're going to hell. That'll be all. I got up and left and I went out. I said, what did he tell you? He told me I was going to hell. He told me I was going to hell. What kind of nut we got in here? He can't do that. So the next money comes in with a box of books, sits them on the counter and says, General, I need you to read this book by Friday. Be at my house Friday night for dinner. Bring your wife. Don't be late. So it's called The Late Great Planet Earth. Well, it's a, I don't know what it is. It's a burning planet. It's a metallurgical lab. We deal with metal and stuff. It's got to, something to, do with, it's got to have something to do with metallurgy. So I go home that night, 10 o'clock. We get in bed, open it up. And we just, I got to read this book for work. So it took about two pages to realize this ain't got nothing to do with metallurgy. Got to do about the Antichrist and 666 and the So I kept looking for a good place to stop because I don't want to have bad dreams. <laughs> so I read at 2.30 in the morning and I had nightmares all night long. Like, Dear God. So we're talking, did you read that book? This guy's a nut. He's a nut. And so we rented a big van because well, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, you're going to walk. We're going to rent a big van. We're all going together. So we went to this house over to Bank, Tennessee. Had a great meal. He got a nice wife, three good kids. We ate normal food. Normal conversation. So Bill said, well, let's go downstairs for some uh, fellowship. I said, well, I'm a Baptist. I don't know what that is. Let's go downstairs for gum flap. So we go downstairs, big den downstairs. And so we're sitting on there. So he pulls that lime green pocket Bible out again. And he reads, I don't pay attention. We're all gum flapping. And so I said, well, he's reading something about laying hands on the sick. And so I'm getting about half the words. He said, well, Phyllis and I would like to anoint you with oil and pray for you tonight. Anybody here have any pain or any sickness? Well, my best friend, Mike Guffey, his wife, Janice, had bad knees for basketball in high school. She raised her hand up. And so he said, well, Phyllis and I would like to pray for you. Now, I'm getting about half the conversation. They reach on the counter, and they pull out a bottle of stuff. I thought, doggone, we've been sucking to an Amway meeting. It's a stinking Amway meeting. Don't you buy nothing. Don't you buy nothing. 
And so they went over, knelt down in front of her, and fellas greased their knees up. And so they shined that hickey a bunch. I don't know what they're saying. And so, so back, well, stand up, Janice. Well, Janice went pogo sticking around that room. The pain was gone. And everybody just and said, well, who else like that? Don't you touch me. Whatever you did, don't you touch me. So six weeks later, six weeks later, we're there for our Friday night deal. My wife's mad at me. Joe, you've got to participate. You're not participating. Baby, I don't have a clue what we're talking about. I'm lost as a goose in a snowstorm. I don't even have a clue what they're talking about. Well, you've got to participate. You're looking really bad. Fine. <laughs> so the sixth night, I raised my hand up. I said, Bill, what page are you on? We're reading our Bibles. What page are you on? He said, well, what kind of Bible do you have? I have an American Bible. No, what language is it? It's in English. Everybody in that room thought that was funny except me. So I went home. So it took several weeks, but I went from Matthew to Revelation in six weeks. Every night I'm reading. And I'm trying to find where the devil died off. I knew Jesus killed the devil. I saw the Easter movie. Jesus killed the devil. He's dead. And so when I got to that, in the Revelation, I realized, oh, dear God, he's still here. I didn't go back to sleep. So that Friday night, we're punching out. I'm working second shift. So I'm punched out, 11 o'clock, getting ready to go down and get my truck and go home. So I punched out, and I'm sitting there, and I got on my knees in the lab. Like, Lord, evidently this, this Holy Ghost thing's real. Evidently the tongue thing goes with it. So if it does, I'll take whatever you got. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so I got to get my truck. So I'm driving home, listening to my country music station. I'm pulling up on the interstate, looking over my shoulder. And I'm singing along with Loretta Lynn. I don't know what she's singing, but I'm singing along with Loretta Lynn. And so I pull up, and so I'm singing, and all of a sudden, I don't know what I'm saying. I got stuff coming out of my mouth. I don't even know what I, I'm babbling like a two-year-old. What am I saying? I'm thinking, oh, man, I think I got that tongue thing. I think I got that tongue thing. So I sang in tongues with Loretta Lynn. <laughs> then I sang in tongues with Johnny Cash, Conway Twitty. I sang in tongues with every country singer who came in that state all the way home. And so I'm thinking, I can't stop. I don't know how it started. So I drove past the house. So the county sheriff's my uncle. I know my wife's going to call the county sheriff if I don't get home pretty quick. I said, Lord, i got to go home. So I pulled in the driveway, little nasty rent house, $55 a month. My wife turns on the back porch light. She can't see me because the light's reflecting on the truck window. It's dark. I'm thinking, Lord, Lord, I hope you can hear me think while I'm praying. Lord, i got to stop. I'm going to stop, Lord. I'm going to count three. Please let me start again. Please let me start again. So my wife's coming out. She's reached for the door handle. I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, one, two, three. And I came out of that truck like I'd been at a camp meeting. I shunned I hickey mode who stole my hundred all over the front yard. I went wild. And so my wife, she was going to a church of God. They believe you have to tarry for the Holy Ghost. You got to tarry. And so one saint had been in church for 40 years. Precious people. Precious people. But they had every Sunday night, she'd go down and tarry. And the saints would lay hand, hang on, let go, cut loose, let God. <laughs> she, she never could get it. Because you needed to tarry. She's the saint of the saints. So you got to tarry a long time. And so my wife told my pastor that I got feeling the Holy Ghost. He said, how? Listen to Loretta Lynn. <laughs> We're not trying to be funny. We're just trying to tell the truth. So he got me aside and said, you got feeling the Holy Ghost? Yes, sir, I can do it right now. You want to hear me? Because they believed you had to tarry and get a special song going. No, I just got loose right now. No, it's okay. No, really, I can do it right now. No, it's okay. So I thought, I need to get water baptized. Okay. So I got water baptized 
three times in six weeks. Because I figured maybe it didn't take. Because you know how the devil messes with you. I don't think I really got it. I think maybe I got it. So the third time he water, he, right before he took me, Joe, you got it. It's the last time I baptized you. <laughs> so, might as well give you this one. I'm getting my master's degree at Oral Roberts University. We are the school of the year. We've had it for five years. We are a great academic school. We are a great academic school because I hired a great man as my assistant principal. Uh, he was very smart. Went to Boston University, worked for the Geological Survey on the ocean. Smart man. But he's just real simple-minded. So he's my assistant principal, so he set everything up for me. And we were good. We were very, very good. And so... Oral's trying to move the chain up. So, well, if you're going to be a school administrator, you finally have to have a degree. Okay. Well, now you got to have a master's degree. Okay. So, I could do it there in town. Every summer, they'd have easiest degree to get, 32 hours. Can't get an easier degree than a master's degree in education. So, I show up my first day of class. Dr. Don Petrie, that started CB University with Pat Robertson, is teaching the class. So, he knows me. There's a picture of him and I shaking hands on the front of the brochure for our Christian school organization because we were the school of the year. And so he's teaching the class. And so I'm the first one there. I live in town. I'm there early. Hey, Joe, can you come up here a minute? Joe, I, I teach the University of Missouri in Columbia. He said, I need to go. Can you take this class? You know this stuff anyhow. He said, sure. So my first class, my master's program, I taught. <laughs> I made an A. Well, I didn't make it. I gave myself an A. The second year, I go back in, I go back in, and I'm, Dr. Peters teaching the class on law. And so he's my teacher again the first day. He's, and I'm there early again. He says, Joe, can you come up here? Can you take this class? I go back to Columbia. Yes, sir. So I taught my second class in my master's program. So at the end of the third year, Dr. Jernigan's over the program. Joe, can you come down here and see me after class today? Because I'm finishing up my third year. I finished up. So I go down, <laughs> I go into his office. He said, Joe, we, we can't find your bachelor's degree anywhere. I said, well, probably not. <laughs> well, did you not submit it? I said, I don't have one. <laughs> you have to have one. How'd you get in the master's program? I showed up. <laughs> I talked to the classes. I made an A in both of them. <laughs> they said, well, have you ever been to school? Yeah, I've been to school all my life. Went to the University of Tennessee my freshman year, and uh, they wrote me a letter saying I could never come back. <laughs> so I'm never allowed to go back to the University of Tennessee, ever. For legal reasons I don't go into, but I was a doofus back then. And so I realized when I was trying to move up the food chain at work, I got to get some knowledge. They only pay for two things, for what you know and what you can do. And based on my paycheck, I do not know anything, nor can I do anything. So I spent a whole life in night school. So I took uh, trigonometry, algebra, gear ratios, uh, electrical courses. If I needed to get a raise, I took the course. And so I said, yeah, I got lots of school. Well, bring your transcripts in. So Thursday, I bring all my transcripts in and put them on his desk. So his assistant's in there. He's, and he sits and he's pouring over my transcripts. He's rubbing his head back and forth. He's rubbing his head. And he looked at me and he said, Joe, what were you trying to become? <laughs> I said, employed. I was trying to get employed. I'm dropping babies like rainwater out of heaven. I had to feed that bunch. So he said, well, none of this goes together. I wasn't trying to make it go together. So what they did, they rolled all my hours, 
from my master's, onto my bachelor's. I have a legal bachelor's degree. I don't have a master's degree. I taught two classes. I was there for three years, but I can't prove it. So I rolled all my hours to have a legal bachelor's degree. So now I have a second degree. I got another degree when I was 67, just to shut everybody up. So they're still worthless, but I got them. <laughs> now that's just me. And so uh, I closed out. So when I went up to Pastor Willie, uh, I realized something. You can't find anybody to work. Workers are rare. Because I never said no. Joe, can you work on Saturday? Yes, I can. Joe, can you work overtime? Yes, I can. I got babies to feed. So there's a natural need. It wasn't because I was holy. It wasn't because I was smarter. I'm dropping babies like rainwater. I wanted a big family, but I got to feed them. Got to fix their crooked teeth. Got to get them through algebra. Got to get them into college. Got to get them married off, you know, dear God. <laughs> I love them all, but I, I said, no, I, I got to. Uh, the reason I'm a blessed man is because I had six kids. How'd you, get to, how'd you get to bless? I had six kids. I didn't have an option. <laughs> there was no option. I can't run. You had them. Yes, I did. Yes, I did, and I wanted every stinking one of them. Yes, I did. And they're a blessing, every one of them. And they're doing great, but they learned how to do it on their own. So I'm out of time, but I'm going to read this. This is a, this is a, I'll close with this. Oh, you're going to love this. For 5,000 years, nothing on this planet changed. I taught history for 10 years. For 5,000, nothing on this planet changed. A little over 100 years ago, everything changed. So I'll read this to you. 100 years ago in America, 100 years ago, the average lifespan in America was age 47. If you lived to be 48, you were old. Well, today it's 78. That's why Social Security's broke. There's not enough people paying in for what we're paying out. It's just a math thing. But they're printing more money. <laughs> They'll just keep printing it. It's worthless, but they're going to print a lot of it. And so, and I know the last days, people be eating, drinking, marrying, giving. It's, there's going to be a bit... Walmart will be packed the day Jesus comes back to this planet. <laughs> somebody will be at the movie, somebody will be at the lake, somebody's going to be skiing. The day the trumpet sounds, most people won't be looking for Jesus. Sad fact. Only 14% of American homes had a bathtub 100 years ago. Hmm. Only 8% had a telephone. Yeah, get that phone. There are only 8,000 cars and 144 miles of paved road in the entire United States. Only 8,000 cars in the entire United States 100 years ago. There's interstates everywhere and they're packed. I drove on one coming down the Magnificent Road, but it's packed. This is in Colorado. Packed. Just in Colorado Springs. It's packed. Oh. The maximum speed 100 years ago was 10 miles an hour. <laughs> you didn't need a speedometer. Just lace up your shoes and chase them down. <laughs> the average wage was 22 cents an hour. More than 95% of all births took place at home. Where'd you have a baby? Yeah, home in my bed. I had six, but we didn't have them at home in no bed. We had them at the hospital. My doctor was there. And he's a good doctor, and I paid him a good check. I was there when they came out, but I didn't touch nothing. <laughs> I cut the cord every time. 
our first baby, Sarah, my first baby. Oh, dear God. Oh, gosh, she was ugly. Oh, dear God. That was the ugliest baby face I ever had. a big purple mark on her head. Like, oh, gosh, she's a freak. And so, oh, dear God. Don't you love her? Yes, Jesus' name. Well, the purple mark went away, and she is the most beautiful of all my kids. She's a college professor dating it. It turned out good. 90% of all doctors had no college education. Hmm. Sugar cost four cents a pound. Eggs were 14 cents a dozen. Ooh, have mercy. Women washed their hair once a month with borax and egg yolks. Pucker up, sugar, that smells good. Canada passed a law prohibiting poor people from immigrating into the country for any reason. And it's still a law. Poor people can't move to Canada. They won't take you. God bless Canada. The three leading causes of death were pneumonia, tuberculosis, and diarrhea. Where's Uncle Frank? He went to that house. He's been out there for three days. I don't know what he's doing. I'm not kidding. They found people dead in the outhouse. They just fluttered herself to glory. Just <laughs> I'm not trying to be crude. I'm trying to tell you the truth. My dad was the youngest of 12 kids. I grew up with a lot of old people. Like, we saw some stuff. Like, whoa. I never could figure out a two-seater outhouse. We had a two-seater outhouse. And I never could figure out, what's the second hole for? Are you supposed to take somebody with you? <laughs> or do you sit on one hole looking down the other? Because we all built that house over a creek. It's selling railroad ties over a creek, so we had a running water outhouse. <laughs> Lord have mercy. It makes me America had four, American flag had 45 stars. The population of Las Vegas, Nevada was 30. 30? What are they doing? Where well, they died on the way to California, the mule died, and they got stuck. They got stuck. <laughs> there was no Mother's Day, no Father's Day. Only 6% of Americans had graduated from high school. There were 230 murders in the entire United States. Well, life changed. They got busy. So here's, here was the seminar I wanted to give you. It's right here. Oh, yeah. Right here. This is it. Two minutes. Men have three jobs. It'll never change. All men have three jobs. All men are lovers. All men are lovers. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. My job is to love my wife. I don't care what she says, how she acts. My job is to love my wife. Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You tell somebody I love you, get out your checkbook, your 401k, your hunting dog, your bass boat, your rod and reel, your pickup truck, pile it on the table before you ever say, hey, sugar, I love you. Because if love's not costing you something, it's not love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It cost God everything to love us with no guarantee we would love him back. Whoa. Number two, men are leaders. 1 Corinthians 11, 3. <laughs> There's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. So, the pecking order. 
you got God over Christ, Christ over man, man's over the woman, woman's over the children, children's over the dog, dog's over the cat, cat's over the mouse, mouse over the cheese, cheese over the cracker. The pecking order in the kingdom of God. But the word's not boss, it's source. She said, if you see me, you see my father. My father and we are one. Jesus turns to the man, man, without me, you cannot do a thing, but with me, all things are possible. A man's turning to his wife and says, sure, what do you want? I'm either going to write a check for it or start believing God for it. I'm your source. I'm not your dictator. I'm not your boss. I'm your source. I remember Denise one time, we went out to the western Oklahoma, this sheep farm. Pastor had a great church, but they had a sheep farm. Wife bred sheep, champion sheep. And so we come back, she said, Joe, I'd like to get some sheep. Babe, we don't need any sheep. You can go to the zoo and for quarter, you can feed them. They got them up at the zoo. No, I want my own sheep. I don't even know what sheep taste like. No, I don't want to eat them. I just want to shear them and have them for pets. I like to have five sheep. Okay. So I did some study. I went to the library. So you have to have an acre of land for every sheep. So I had to go buy five acres of worthless land, spend a summer fencing in my son, fence the whole thing in, and put up a little barn. For sheep, I still don't have. We go back up the next year, back up the same place, same church. Spent half a day with the sheep again. We're driving back to Tulsa. My wife said, Joe, I don't think I want any sheep. Praise God, babe. That's just it's good to know. Whoa. So anyhow, man, we're supposed to lead. And we're not going to make right. I've had to back up. I would tell my kids, okay, wrong decision, back up, everybody back up. I'm not the perfect. I'm, I didn't get to be the head of my family because I'm the perfect person. I still make mistakes. I still fall down. I still scoop dirt in my lower lip. I know, But I know how to repent quick, forgive quick. What happened? I'm, Daddy made a mistake. Back up, back up. We're going to do it different. We're going to do that. The number three is a good one. All men providers. First Timothy 5 8. Any man that does not provide for his own family, especially those of his own house, has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I told all of my son in laws that married my five daughters, you have one job take care of my daughter. 20 years from now, I better not come visit you. And my daughter looks like she's been drugged down the interstate behind the bump of a car, wore out trying to support your sorry self. So every son-in-law I met that married in my family, they had to bring a five-year plan, put it on my desk. They had to bring a year's worth of bank statements, put them on my desk. You say you love my daughter. How much money have you spent on my daughter in the last year? One guy spent more money on deer hunting. You don't love my daughter, you love deer. Go marry you a Bambi. <laughs> you, you got, it's going to cost you. And so, plus you have to be a tither. I told my daughter, you're not marrying any of the young men that's not a tither. So, man, I about messed up because I had one kid, great kid. And so, uh, I'm going to his bank and saying, you look good, but you're not a tither. Yes, sir, I've been a tither for three years. No, you're not. You're a seven percenter. I don't know what seven is, but it's not a tithe. God didn't ask for t 11, he asked for 10, 10%. That's the tithe. You're blessed if you pay the tithe. Goes to your local church. He said, well, I'll, I'll start tithing. I said, well, you're not getting married in two weeks. My daughter's not going to marry somebody that's not a tither. Man, I was the demon from hell for the next year. <laughs> but they didn't marry. They waited a year, had a great wedding, expensive wedding. I paid for every bit of it. And so, had a great time and 
We're still married, and I got four grandsons out of that deal so far. <laughs> and he's doing real good. Sometimes you have to put up a standard and you have to stand still. I'm not trying to be rude or mean. I'm trying to tell the truth. Truth will set you free. So, ladies, here's yours. I'm tired. Ladies, your helpers. Genesis 2.18. Genesis 2.18. Uh, you're the helper. And you're going to help your husband do things when you don't feel like it because he needs you. Did you know it's a medical fact between 18 and 24 weeks when it's a baby in a mother's womb? Even she's got quadruplets. That mother's body will produce a chemical bath that will wash over the developing brain of that baby boy. She will not produce a chemical bath that washes over the brain of a baby girl. Only the baby boy. And so that boy is born, 40% of the connects between the left and right hemisphere don't exist. A male is either left or right brain dominated. That's why girls do better in school. They use both their brains at the same time. Boys only use one side of the brain at a time. They're not dumb. They're just different. Oh, I wish I could go into that. That's deep. Number two, women, your managers. 1 Timothy 5.14. So I advise the younger widows to marry again. Have children. Take care of their own homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. Then number three, ladies, your lovers. Titus 2.4. <laughs> Older women, train the young women how to love their husbands and love their children. What? You don't know how? No, not the biblical way. You don't know how. You have to have somebody train you. Have somebody teach you how to love. So, God made marriage. It was His idea. God made family. It was His idea. Is it easy? No. No wimps need apply. But what I love is I'm laying up treasure in heaven. I'm laying up chunky change in heaven. I'm very carnal. I don't want to live in no stinking cabin on the back ninety. I want the biggest mansion in heaven. So every time I do something for somebody. There's a treasure laid up. Every time I'm good to somebody, I bless somebody. Every time I pay my tithe, what's happening? I'm laying up stuff in heaven. I want to be the last person off this planet. I've told my family, I want to be the last person off this planet. When I get to heaven, I want to hand Jesus the key. I locked up, let's have dinner. Because <laughs> as long as I'm here, I get to be a blessing. Leave everybody better than I find them. Amen. Let's stand up. Now we're going to do something a little different here, and it'll be good. Uh, if you're here with your spouse, I want you to turn and face them just for a minute. Turn and face your spouse. If you're here and you're not with your spouse, do this by faith. If you're here and you don't have a spouse but you like one, do this by faith. If you're here and you don't want a spouse, don't do this. <laughs> so we're going to start with the men. Men and men only, say this to your wife. Say, darling, I love you. I promise you, according to the word of God, I will be a lover, a leader, and a provider to you, for you, and for our family. I will do you good and not evil all the days of our life. Forgive me of any sin. I have committed against you or against our family. I receive that forgiveness with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, ladies and ladies only,
Darling, I love you. I promise you, according to the word of God, I will be a helper, a manager of our home, and a lover to you, for you, and for our family. I will do you good and not evil all the days of our life. Forgive me of any sin I have committed against you or against our family. I receive that forgiveness with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now pucker up and do what comes natural. <laughs> My last word is this. Do not ever take your spouse into their past. That's cheating. You never, you always, you should have. That's cheating. Talk about your future. Talk about the grace and mercy of God. Don't ever take them to the past. They don't have a time machine. They can't do a thing about it. You just want them to feel bad. So don't ever accuse your spouse. I don't care if you're married for the 18th time. I don't care who they were married to, how many times they were married. It doesn't matter. What you found is God's gift for you right now. So let's build some. Amen. Amen. God bless, Pastor. Amen. Praise God. This time we want to uh, receive an offering. Ushers, will you please pass out the offering envelopes as you're filling those out. Uh, please come back tomorrow. He'll, uh, Joe will be in both services tomorrow. So this was just the start of good stuff. And so please uh, go to the table, avail yourself of the, the resources there. And so uh, you can just make the checks out, all checks out to River Rock Church. We'll make sure he gets everything. All right. Where it says to, that we're to give back to those that teach us to sow. So we're, we're sowing into a, a fruitful ministry. Uh, we're sowing into marriages, sowing into families, not only in this church, but around the United States and around the world. All right. Well, let's pray. Let's come to this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for uh, Joe's ministry, and we thank you, Father, for the experience, Lord, that, that he's, uh, and, and the knowledge of the Word of God that's coming forth in our lives, Lord. I thank you that's coming in fertile soil, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit uh, ministering that in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that every dollar sown, Lord, came from your grace, and we're going to sow it by faith back into the kingdom into this ministry where the hearts of the fathers will return to the children and the children to the fathers. And, Lord, a fulfillment of that promise is happening, Lord, right now. And, Father, we thank you, Father. We have a chance to participate that, being furthered in the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you that everything is sown in this offering is holy, sealed in your kingdom. Blessing comes over our finances in Jesus' name. All right, you can pass the buckets and... Once that is passed and you can give that, you are dismissed. Tomorrow, 8.30 and 11, Joe will be back with us. So God bless you. I could sing a song during the offering, but I would kind of hurt the offering. So we're not going to do that. So I could do prophetic dance. That's even worse. So praise God.